submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, this is God's word to us this morning as we continue our series in Ephesians. And shortly we're going to be taking communion together as a church. And while at first glance these verses appear to be about marriage and the relationship between a husband and wife, actually Paul tells us in verse 32 that these verses are actually about Christ and the church and about the love Jesus has for his bride. You and I here this morning, the body of Christ, and it's that love which we're going to be celebrating as we take communion together. You see, interwoven into the fabric of creation are institutions like marriage. A marriage is not just there to be a blessing to us as people uh, and a building block of society, but is also incredibly designed to be a picture of God's love for humanity and a picture of the gospel. I wonder how many of you wake up each morning and look at your husband or wife and think, wow, another morning of showing the world through our marriage how much God loves each one of us and what Christ did for us on the cross. I'm pretty sure on a Monday morning that when you look over at your beloved, that is not the first thought that comes into your mind. And yet that is what marriage is to be. That is what marriage is to be a picture of. God's desire is that as people look at godly married couples and see the love they have for one another, that it should cause them to pause and to wonder and think about God who is love. The love that a couple share with one another should point people towards Christ and his sacrificial love demonstrated supremely on the cross. A godly, healthy marriage should exemplify a love that is divine. 
the key to understanding this whole section of scripture and the verses that will come in the following weeks was given to us right back at the start of chapter 5 where we were told in verse 1 that we are to be imitators of God and we are to walk in the way of love following the pattern set down for us by Jesus. It's a wonderful thought that elevates our human relationships with one another. This idea in our relationships with one another that we can imitate God. That we can pursue a holy love of one another. A love that is pure. A love that is self-giving. A love that is sacrificial. A love that holds nothing back from the other. A love that is always patient. Always kind. A love that does not envy or boast. That is not proud. That doesn't dishonour those we are called into relationship with. That is not self-seeking. That is not easily angered. That doesn't keep a record of wrongs. A love that does not delight in evil but rejoices in truth. And a love that always protects the other. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love that never fails. That's the kind of love that we are to embody and the world needs to see demonstrated in human relationships. And it's the kind of love that God wants to see exemplified in the marriage relationship. It's the kind of love that all of us desire to know and experience in our lives. If you're single, that's the kind of love you want to pursue in a future spouse. If you're married, that's the kind of love deep down that we all want our marriages to be marked by. It's the kind of love we hope and pray our children and grandchildren will discover in marriage in future years when they grow up. It's a love that is all-embracing. It is a love that is strong and secure. It is a love that weathers the storms of life, builds up and protects that which is most precious to us. And it's a kind of love that sustains in sickness and in health till death do us part. It's the kind of love which, were it modelled in society, the divorce rate would plummet. And the supreme example of this love is found in Jesus and his immense love for you this morning as a church. It's a love that is perfect and pure. It is a love that never gives up. The Lord never turns his back on us. The Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Even when we walk away from him, even when that relationship gets difficult because of things we have done, still he pursues us in love. In fact, that love was always the basis of our relationship before we ever knew Christ. Even when we were still sinners, Christ loved us and reached out to us. This is amazing love. It is wonderful love. It is the covenant love of God. And that's what we're celebrating today as we take communion. And that is what these verses celebrate here this morning. It's about inviting God to help us to model that divine 
love in marriage relationships. Bar is high, but the rewards are great for those who pursue a love like this. It creates healthy marriages, healthy homes, healthy environments to raise children, and it creates marriage relationships and a home that welcomes in others, that blesses others, that is a source of strength, not just for the husband and wife, but for all who encounter that godly couple. Do you know that many times over the years when I was a bachelor, I encountered people who had strong, healthy marriages. And it was so steeped in the love of God that there was always space for others. And it was a blessing for me to be welcomed into that marriage relationship, into that family as a single person. And to experience an overflow of love from them, to be embraced by them and welcomed by them. And that is what the love of God does for us. You see, the love of God always overflows to others. We think of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the love that was shared between them. And yet there was so much love that it overflows. And it embraces us and the whole of creation. It makes space for us within that holy relationship. And that's why we pray for healthy marriages in the church. Because where they exist, it benefits us all. And through coming into contact with godly, loving couples, people will not just experience that love, but they will encounter God in that marriage relationship. It will be clear to all that he is the foundation of their marriage, the centre of all they are. And that love will point us towards the love that Jesus has for us all. What does it say? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is radical stuff. Paul's command to husbands to actually love their wives, we need to understand, was counter-cultural in the context into which he was writing. You see, wives in Paul's day were seen as commodities. They were there to serve their husbands, to look after the home, to raise the children. Love was really part of the equation. In fact, if a man was seen to love his wife, it was interpreted by others as a sign of weakness. And fidelity? Well, fidelity was rarely part of the marriage relationship. And as to a woman having any rights, well, that wasn't even spoken of. A woman was either under the control and the authority of her father or another male relative until she got married. And at that point, she came under the control or authority of her husband. And yet often her father would still have expectations of her. And so it was a complex world which she had to navigate. 
and pleasing both and being under the authority of both and to do it without the security of love to know that most certainly the marriage was not being kept pure and that your husband had little care or love or concern for you how devastating must that have been and so for Paul this is a radical teaching to institute in Ephesus of all places which was ridden with such immorality to insist that husbands not only love their wives but love them as Christ loved the church well that was revolutionary and so here is Paul reminding the church of God's covenant love for them reminding them of that hesed love of a love that is loyal of a love that is faithful of a love that protects and pursues of a love that never gives up on the other person no matter what happens as demonstrated in that great story in the bible of Hosea reminding them that God's people always were to forsake others to follow him to love him to cherish that relationship with God God says this covenant love that is to be the basis of the marriage covenant with one another just as it was laid down in Genesis where a husband and wife would unite together and become one flesh it was a call to a new level of fidelity and purity it was the gold standard for anyone who would follow it and embrace it and in doing so they would become a witness to the world in which they lived and so Paul is pro-marriage and Paul is expecting a lot of married couples especially the husbands don't wander don't be unfaithful to your wife cherish her love her love her as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for the church and as Christ gives his all for the church to present her as holy and blameless before God so husbands desire the same for your wives that she might become a woman of God that she may grow in her intimacy with God that may, she may grow in her character and spirit and stature to be all that she can be that's the call here that's what husbands should desire and set their hearts on in sacrificially loving in this way and in husbands humbling themselves to take on the nature of a servant like Christ humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant for the sake of the church Philippians 2 so the husband's desire in bowing low and giving his all for his wife is that he in bowing low might raise her up to become all that she can be in God's eyes and as he humbles himself in love his desire is that his wife might grow and flourish and shine for Jesus and know that she is loved not only by God but by her husband and feel secure in that managed relationship knowing her husband is for her and has her best interests at heart 
It's a wonderful picture. How can a husband modelling love in that way not be a blessing to his wife and not point others towards the love of Jesus who is his pattern for all he is doing? So we say this morning, Peter, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife in that way. Husbands, look afresh at the love Jesus has for his church. Understand afresh all Jesus did for the church in love. Let that be the pattern for how you love your wife. Raise that bar for yourself in marriage. Don't conform to the standards of the world around you. Live by a different standard. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. Pure love. Committed love, a sacrificial love, a self-giving love, a love that humbles oneself. That must have been difficult within the context into which Paul writes. To step from a position of power and control and authority in a relationship as a husband. To yield and to serve just as the master Jesus serves the church. Forsaking heaven to come to earth and to go to the cross. That was the love that they were to model and it is the same for us today. And as that love is showing, so wives, you are to respond to it. You are to respond to that love. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. As the church submits to Christ, so Paul writes, wives submit. We so misunderstand this word, but we have seen this beautiful picture of submitting to one another, of the servant, sacrificial, self-giving love that the husband is to model, choosing to make himself the lowest like Christ did for the church. And as the husband, following this example of Jesus, lays down his life for his wife, giving up everything for her, out of love for her and out of reverence for Christ, so she is to reciprocate that love and submission. Wives are called to respond to that love just as we as the church respond to Jesus. 1 John 4 19 says we love because he first loved us. Love then becomes this cycle of giving and receiving of mutually building one another up. Yes, the initiative here seems to lie with the husband to love first. But as that love is shown, so it is responded to. Headship in this picture is not about command and control. In the church, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. He does not command us to love him. Rather, he lays down his life for us and we respond out of love and gratitude to Christ. It's an overflow of our hearts. 
that false model of command and control is the model Paul is radically trying to break here. Headship is a responsibility not to control, but to love like Jesus. And as Jesus loves us and we respond to that love, so as husbands love their wives, it should be natural for wives to respond in love to their husbands. And that is the calling here for wives. Submission is not about coercing someone to do something. or Some sort of feeling of being trapped or enslaved or under the thumb. Again, that is what Paul is seeking to bring. Submission here is a joyful, willing, glad, free response to love one's husband. To say that as he loves me like Jesus loves the church. As Jesus delights in me and the church delights in Christ. So as my husband loves me and delights in me. So I will love and delight in him. I'm not going to push back against that. I'm not going to make it difficult for my husband to love me. I'm going to delight in this marriage relationship. I'm going to delight in my husband. I'm going to give my all to him so that together our marriage might be a gospel witness. We need more marriages like that that model that reciprocal love of Christ and the church. As he tells us and demonstrates to us how much he loves us and as we as a church in response pour out our love for him and submit to him and follow him. Communion is a reminder that Jesus never forces us to love him. And yet as we experience his love, we can't help but respond to it and delight in it and give our all back to him in return. And wives, your part is to respond in this relationship in love in such a way that you are a witness to the way that the church loves Christ. And the lights in him and in his presence. As I looked at these verses again, I got excited. If we really understood how much Christ loves us, and we really understood what it means as a church to respond to that love, well, it could do wonders for our faith and our intimacy with God. And it could do wonders for our marriage. Well, to grasp how much Jesus loves you this morning. That's our prayer as we come to the communion table now. And celebrate communion over Zoom. As we meditate on Jesus we pray that we would rediscover afresh the depths of his love for us. And as we comprehend that, that we would respond to him.